You're listening to a CNA podcast. Hello listeners, it's Crispina and welcome back. We hope you've had a good end to 2023 and it's time to get cracking with 2024. Hello everyone, Adrian here and I think for some of us it will take some time to ease into the hustle and bustle of work life. But I hope for those of you starting new jobs, you find enjoyment and meaning. <laughs> Adrian, when I say Singaporean CEO of a major global company, who comes to your mind? I would say maybe Tan Ming Liang from Razer, the company that makes all the gaming gear. And okay. most recently would be Ian Ang, the guy who makes the Secret Lab chess, which uh, I own. Oh, would you call them a global? Are they global companies? I think okay lah, you can get their <laughs> stuff everywhere. What about you? Okay, so when I think the man who suddenly became famous was the CEO of TikTok, Chiu Soju. But in the studio with us today is another co-founder and CEO who was born in Singapore. And you might not know his name, but he is Ryan Wong. Ryan runs Vizier, a recognized global leader in people analytics, providing on-demand answers to people-powered businesses such as Bridgestone and Electronic Arts. He's headquartered in Vancouver, Canada, where Ryan moved to when he was 26. Mm. So stick around as we get him to give us the lowdown on whether more Singaporeans can make the global CEO cut, what he thinks are some old-fashioned HR practices we need to get rid of. Welcome to the podcast, Ryan. Thank you for having me. Hello. Thanks for coming on to the show. Let's start with a bit of an introduction. Can you give us a quick origin story? Let's see, where do I start? I think, let me go all the way back. 1989, August 31st. Wow, that's so precise. (laughs) I lived like twice on that day. That's why I remember. Well, one day was uh, in Singapore. It was my ROD day, the day that I became a civilian uh, from the army. And the other is like uh, I landed in Vancouver, BC for my school. I went to University of British Columbia. Yeah. Finished my degree, came home and worked as a software developer engineer for ST computers. And by chance, I got posted to help one of the venture in San Francisco Bay Area. So I became associate in a venture cap firm. Mm-hmm. Then it was named Vertex Management. When you look at all the different startup company in the area, I feel like I'm more suited as an engineer than an investor. So I joined <laughs> a startup company then called Crystal Services, who is based in Vancouver, Canada. So they create a product called Crystal Report. Crystal Report was a pretty well-known name. Crystal grew organically to a pretty substantial size before they were acquired by Business Objects. And Business Objects grew again and was acquired by SAP. So my journey in my career of building software has been really revolving around those three companies, like Crystal, Business Object, and SAP. I left Singapore really twice, one for my school, came Mm -hmm. home, and then one for work. Yeah. So it's yeah. really out of work opportunity that I really truly plan mm. to get to where I am today. That's quite a common story where you go with the flow, right? And where the opportunities are. And where the opportunities are. And then you make your life around that. Let's dive a little bit into your journey at your current company. When I was reading about it, it sounds like a fairy tale almost. You know, you start with software developers working on whiteboards in a rented townhouse. It's very Silicon Valley, right? And then slowly you get a Series A funding. And then by 2021, you achieve unicorn status, which is quite rare. Mm. So for those who aren't familiar, a unicorn company is a startup, right? Which is valued at $1 billion or, or, or more. Above. 
Yeah. So I know it is impossible to distill such a trajectory into a very short answer. But my question is, how much of it was you being at the right place at the right time when it came to your current co-founding this company? That's a great question. I always feel like company that reach a status of a billion, if you ask my personal opinion, you like you say, is that you are in the right place at the right time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because there are a lot of startup company yeah. that work very hard, that never really get the opportunity. So I'm very grateful for that recognition. But a lot of it behind the scenes is a lot of hard work. Yes. Startup is not easy. If you look at the stats, like 99 point something percent of the startup company failed. Really? Yeah. Less than 1% of the startup company actually get to, I would say, unicorn status. I think uh, worldwide, I will not have the number um, top of my head, but you, you can search it up. It's definitely less than 1%. So this is quite something special, right? It is something special. It is something, in honesty, not planned for. We got the status during COVID where everything was shut down. Yeah, yeah. And our business is about helping organization understand how their employee impact business outcome. Right. And during COVID, guess what? Is uh, the number one question that most company has is, can my company even survive? Yes. Um, where are my employees? Now they all work remotely. Correct. So there is a sudden awakening of saying, holy cow, I don't understand our employee. Who are they? Where are they working? What are they doing? Yeah. How do they work? And how do I keep my business afloat when half of them are not even around? Because you can no longer observe them. Yeah. We have great technology, we, we do. have great technology, we have great execution, which we do. Yeah. But really is a kind of unplanned event such as COVID yeah. that really yeah. put us over the top. Just one more thing, because when I was looking at the, your co-founders, so it appears that the three of them are related to each other. I co-found the business with John Swartz, who was ex-CEO of Business Objects. So that's and where you met him? Yeah, that, that's where I met him in 2015, I think. Yeah. So it's complicated when you talk about founding members of the team because yeah. it's like, how do you count? I would say <laughs> that if we were to count the regional founders, people in the town home with me, there's 11 of us. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's interesting. So that's like Alibaba in a way, right? Jack Ma had a whole slew of people, maybe 12 deputies or more mm. that he needed to run the company with. Building a business is not a one-person job. You know, like I think sometimes yeah, people glorify the CEO, yeah. but the reality is it's the CEO and the team. I'm the kind of leader who never would like to say that I did it all myself. Yeah, like, yeah. It would not be possible to do it without the people around me. I guess people just love to listen to the romanticized version of it. Yeah. A single person who conquer everything. But with yeah. all the conversation we had with all these different leaders, everyone said the same thing, sing the same tune, which is we need to have a team. Yep. My team instead of myself. Yeah. But leadership is important. It's the visionary guy at the front where everybody is, all the cameras are on. That's the American way. American <laughs> like to glorify hero yeah quite the superhero yeah it works in certain culture but not necessary at all okay before we get to the hr questions we want your take on this Chen kai feng when he was running edb he wrote a commentary and basically said that while global companies flock here Singaporeans who are able and willing to lead them are far and few between so he cited a few reasons nothing earth-shattering we are good at doing not creating we value results, not risk. Do you agree with that? And do you think something needs to be changed perhaps? 
it is not an easy problem to solve and i have witnessed firsthand how our government attempt to solve this very questions that you'd have even when i was in st right i was working a lot around a lot of singapore scholars and i was like the lucky one i'm not a scholar but actually get posted to be a vcs and the singapore scholar have a very schedule and plan track yes, on what they do one over another we're trying to arm our young people then i was young one of them at 20 something yeah with all the skills that we have to go conquer the world and run big companies and build talents and in all honesty it hasn't been working very well in fact a lot of the investment in the bay area wouldn't consider that a big success i'm sure there are a lot of research done on it as, as in why we have the best education system in the world so we have the top two university now ntu and nus is like top one top two ranking in the like yeah in the world it's in the top so, 10 for sure so we produce very good education and why not enough leaders and business leaders yeah i'm sure there are a lot of opinions about that mm. is that the question that you're trying to ask me yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what's your take what do you think is it because mr chung's point was that we are great at doing stuff in other words we can follow instructions quite well we're very efficient if there's a manual we'll do it pretty well but creating is a different thing right yeah. manifesting being a a visionary is a different the instruction is not there we do not know how to assemble the is it, as, do you even agree it's... i'll be a little bit controversial i think in the early days maybe now it's still true i do not know if that is the sentiment there's a, a belief that singaporeans are not as innovative mm. i actually disagree like even what 30 years ago i met a lot of singaporeans who are very innovative are right. very creative I think the challenge is our culture, is our where the market is. Mm. The culture as in we are very risk averse. We don't play to win. We always play not to lose. Um. So so it's a, there's a subtle difference here. Play to win, you take a lot more risk. Play not to lose. You play it, safe. You Just play safe, defense. Right? Even growing up, we, we almost use it as a joke. It's a Hokkien word, kiasu. Yeah. Even yeah. like all culture know kiasu, right? Yeah. Kiasu is, I'm worried about failure. There's also a Chinese saying that say, failure is the mother of success, right? You right. have to fail first. But somehow we are taught not to lose. Right. And that is pretty sad. Of course, there are some people who break out of that. But in yeah. in large sense, we are very much more towards pretty standard way of living and decision making. We are very boxed in. So that's one. I think it's a culture. Right. The other one I say is market. What I mean by market is at least in a B2B and B2C business. Because of the Gyasu culture, even corporation in Singapore, very large one, who has the money to spend on the smaller company, are not willing to. They will say, who else have worked with you first? Mm. They will not want to be the first guinea pig. Right. <laughs> because what if you fail? Like, how can I trust you? So if you have some big names behind you, it's easier for them to make a choice. There's always a saying that pick the big guy, you'll never get fired, right? It really go back to the culture of Gyasu, yeah. right? In a very much innovative and market competitive environment is we call that there is a technology adoption curve where the first phase of the users are more innovators than early adopters, than early majority, than late majority. Late majority is basically mainstream and then the lagger. Right. Where if you look at the adoption curve, where does Singapore company fall in that adoption curve? Most likely late majority mm. than early adopters. Right. Like 
when iPhone was out, like what, in 20, 2009? I remember 2008, 2009, iPhone, like first version, uh, where the whole world was using BlackBerry. Yeah. And how many iPhone users are out there? And how quickly does it take iPhone to basically get into the mainstream? Right. right. So I think every new technology that we are seeing go through that technology adoption curve. And I think if, if the environment that we live in, the market that we live in, not encouraging early adopters, entrepreneurial and leaders, business leaders are always going to face with this challenge. So, right. it's, so I, I say one is the risk aversion and the other one is the market that we live in. Recently, I heard something interesting, which is it's very hard to change an entire, maybe several generations mindset, right? Because our generation, even mm. parents, your generation, which is younger than me, they want their kids to have a certain predictable path in life. To be a scholar is to hit the A game already. Yeah, you hit know. the jackpot. But to shift this mindset, it's literally like to carry an elephant. So people say, forget it, just embrace that, and then we will be the best late majority that we can and make as much money as we can, like at that level. Which is why you would drive a lot of Singaporean to start a company outside of Singapore. Instead of inside. Then, <laughs> and then bring the company back home when the company is ready to be back home. Vizier is 13 years old, and I've been looking at when can I actually take the company home. So we started 11 months ago, a year ago. The Singapore office, you mean? The Singapore office yes. here, right? Because, yeah, to start a business here is not easy. It's tough. For B2B business, yep, yeah. Yep, yep. B2C, I'm not an expert in it. I could guess similar challenges, but at least B2C, the consumer market is vast. Yes. And the buying decision is on every single consumer. So it's a very different problem. Hmm. Do you think we can change the castle mentality anytime soon? Like you say, it's a generation thing. Yeah. I think it takes generation to change. But I also see like the new leadership are encouraging a lot of taking risks. Yeah. And the school system has changed to saying that it's okay not to go to university. You can go to, what do you call that? ITE or something? Yeah. IT, Polytechnic. <laughs> yeah. Polytechnic and In IT. fact, high skill trade now is on very high demand. Yes. More so than a degree holder. Yeah. At least our people analytics show that. <laughs> <laughs> because there are way less plumber, electrician's traits than, say, a degree in engineering. <laughs> yeah. Your data shows that. I recently, a plumber came to my house and he was this young kid. And I asked him, I said, how come you're doing this? He's working for his, his uncle. Yeah. And he says... Because I cannot study, la, so I do this. <laughs> I'm like, but you making good money. And he said, yeah. Very good money. Yeah. Very good money. Yeah. <laughs> so there you are. Let's get to your work and the world of HR tech, right? Naturally, you deal with data. It's natural for you to think that data solves a lot of the current issues that we have. Especially HR. We've had a lot of HR people here on this podcast and they always tell us oh it's a very people-centric business we got a lot of gut feel a lot of relationship where do you think data helps where people can't if you look at the practice of hr there's certainly a part of it we call it business partner that is very much relationship driven yes emotional driven it's all about people yeah but so let's just call it the arts of hr right? okay we, we don't have the debate that exists it exists but then let's talk about the science of HR, mm -hmm. as in like on the more process-like, more 
employee workflow. Any organization need to recruit, yeah, need to onboard, need to performance management, need yes. to do compensation review, Correct. need to eventually offboarding them, need to train them, right?、Mm. All these different systems that are in place to look at people processes in any organizations are task orientated. Yeah, those are not people wishy washy feeling. Those、yeah. is like you have a task, you have to finish that task. That is also part of the HR responsibility, right? You can call it administrative work,、mm. but administrative work actually take out. I don't know. We were to break it down. I'm just making a number. Majority, like so much so, is if you have a eighty twenty, I would say that most HR professional will say that they consume most of the time on administrative than the time that they need to spend with people on. Yeah, the science of HR is where we focus our energy on. Okay, we are saying that there's a better way to help. And enable your organization by understanding the people inside and how the people are impacting the business.、Mm-hmm. Not doing the task for the sake of doing it, but actually doing it that have the business goal behind. It. Yeah. So it's not about just reporting about oh or, or how many people I have, how many people quit, how many people we hire,、uh, because those are all just monitoring. But it's really about creating impact on the business. Meaningful impact, like say, I know who I need to go hire, I know who I need to retain, I know who I need to go fire. Right. right. It, it, you you would also know which part of the organization is at risk, right? Yes. Where、right. are the vulnerable points? Exactly. Who is、like, bleeding a lot of people? Yeah. <laughs> and why? Who is a bad manager? <laughs> like we all say that people work for the manager than the company. Yes. You have a good manager, you retain your employee. And then their company that bleed talent and why? Then can people actually truly understand why? And can people predict? Not just can predict who's going to leave, who's going to get promoted. You'll be surprised by how much information they are already out there. Yeah. Hidden in the sea of data, just not being like explored. So and, if you start、yeah. digging,、mm. you get a lot of insight. And that's essentially what Vizier do is to say that we have a software. Our superpower is to connect all these data、yep. assets out there in various system in organization where you have people data footprint.、Mm. We bring it together, arrange it in some form and shape that now we can help you to ask very intelligent questions. Right. And now you have the insight. Then you can say, okay, I want to practice the arts of HR. At least I have some data to support. My conversation. <laughs> oh, I love that. So it's、that. grounded with facts. It's grounded with right. facts. Right. So the science actually feeds the art. Yes. In a way. Yes. It、yeah. has to. That makes sense. Yeah. Especially for big organizations. If a HR organization just practice wishy washy HR, which is all arts and no science, <laughs> <laughs> that's when business stop trusting that. Right. A lot of the business leader will say, "Go away," because you're not adding value to me. Yeah. You need、yeah. to add value by. Getting the science to help you with the arts of HR. Yeah, and like you pointed out, especially in a bigger organization, how much time does a single HR person has? Right, if you have ten downline, twenty departments to work with, you and if you're not in the office every day, you can't even see stuff. I'm just curious. For example, we do exit interviews a lot for、mm. people who quit. Right, you're familiar with that. So I'm thinking at some point this kind of thing can be easily. You know, capture with new system, capture data, right? And then you can churn out the report and give you some of the key insights as to what、mm. this person said. 
what was the feedback, etc. And then you map all your exit interviews. You you have a good picture, right? Visa does that. And what commonly done with HR department will always say that let's run an employee survey. Let's run another survey. Oh yeah, right? I did. You have all that survey. But then, what do you do with the survey data? Is uh, what do you do with that data after that? No, so, so that's always my biggest question. Okay, now that you have the data, so what are you can doing you about share it? with us? Like, yeah, don't share. What did you guys find out? We just want to check off that we've done the survey. <laughs> that's about it. I'd like to move on to a piece that you actually wrote for Fast Company, where you argued for greater transparency of pay. Something that we've actually talked about on this podcast before, but at least within the Singapore context, salaries is always a touchy subject. Yeah. Yeah. Very secretive. Yeah. Even recently, I think there were announcements where listed company CEOs have to be public about their salary, and there are a lot of debates. Yeah. In your opinion, why does transparency make things better? And beyond that, what other old-fashioned HR practices, in your opinion, do you think needs to go? I think we are living in a world these days. There are a lot of mistrust that are happening between citizen and governments, employee and employer. Mm. I'm, I'm mostly talking about America and. Canadian context, right? Yes, Even the Europe context. I do not know enough of the, this region to actually have an opinion yet. But I would suspect maybe same challenges, maybe less, because I think that in many ways, over here, the government is pretty well run. In the West, especially in US, there's a lot of mistrust that's happening. So anything that can actually help to remove this mistrust is right. a good thing. Right. So Bill get passed on, hey, I, I want transparency on how you guys make decisions. Mm. So it's actually turning into law. So employers have no choice but to actually share how to actually make decisions on salary ranges, which is something that, again, software can help. And the danger thing about what software can do is if you cannot say that, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you want the truth, can you handle the truth? And that's what the people are, are looking for is that pay transparency. So... Now, pay transparency doesn't necessarily mean every person salary how much you're making. I think yeah. there is a misunderstanding to think that pay transparency means that we publish salary for every executive, every employee out there. It's not about that. It's really about when you're thinking about compensating a certain role and skill set, what is the model behind right. why certain role get paid this much and certain role get paid that much? Like, why do we pay plumber X dollar per hour? and an engineer Y dollars per hour, yeah, right? Good. At the end of the day is economics. It's always about supply demand. Sure. So having price transparency or compensation transparency is serve as a guidance and saying that is how the model works. That's how we think about it. But it doesn't necessarily say that you get paid X number. So you, you should arrange. For example, if you are level one software developer, this is your range. You're level two, that is your range. Mm. But so it's about that then than actually having very specific on how much person make. And one of the reasons when you have that range, you want to get a delta on who is our range. And the problem to solve there a lot of time, at least in the West, is actually about diversity and inclusion. So it's gender. Do you pay men more than women? Different ethnicity. Do you pay certain ethnicity more than the others? Mm. So those the report that the authority want to know. It is a touchy subject, mm. but you're right. It's not as if I want to know like how much my boss makes. I don't really care. But if I were to look for a job in a certain company, I want to know what it's you're paying me. Is mm. it based on just some arbitrary thing, some historical thing, some last John salary? 
or you've got a proper model. Yeah. Maybe just to wrap things up. So Physio has been recognized as one of the best places to work in Canada. And now you guys have a team of over 500 employees, right? So in a sense, because you're in the business of HR, you can practice what you preach in helping companies do better. What do you think, having founded and led this company, would you say are like two or three fundamental things that leaders need to take care of in terms of their people? so that their business can thrive. I always say that you can always help HR become better HR and manager become better manager or employee become better employee. What problem are we solving for? This is about me building the business. Yeah. I would say first thing is is be human first. It's, okay. It's always about the people side. Yeah. As in, because people is what make things happen. Yeah. Not technology, not processes. I would say that in the absence of technology or processes, good people always fill the gap, right? Uh. So people is very important. So to build a team that can strive with you, I would say is people and culture is number one to me. You need to hire the right people, retain the right people, and get rid of the wrong people. I, I will keep saying that because people like do not like to talk about getting rid of people. Oh, yeah. And I feel like if somebody is a poison in a culture it's not a team player it's not in a journey with you you have to do something about it not fixing a low performance is a crime right at Vizier we talk about mission experience pay whether you're attached to a mission or you're attached to experience or you're attached to pay so mission is we have a purpose and that is what we do do we want to drive towards that purpose are we aligned on our kind of flat mission the second is experience experience is i want to it's about learning and development yeah. i'm a yeah. fresh grad i want to learn or i want to learn how to build the business to the next level and then pay is pay right people who are really just attached to pay usually doesn't work up well in a startup environment right you'll find that most most of the startup team members they are very much attached to Mission. The first two, mission mm. and experience. The learning aspect mm. of it. Uh, this is a long answer. I would say focus no, but, on the people. Yeah, because team. I wanted to query you about the your right people. Mm. So what qualities does a right person have? The right person are the people who live your values and mm. your culture. And you have to first start your business with what value and culture you want it to be. Right. Vizier, right. Mm. for example, our first line is we play to win. Mm. If you don't play to win, you're unlikely going to fit our culture. So we are scrappy. Mm. Play to win, we are scrappy. We don't wait for things to happen. We wear multiple hats. We like, go all in. We go all in. <laughs> we don't full defense. Yeah, don't. Yeah, we don't play defense. We, we play, play defense. attack. Yeah. So we draw our sleeve and we do make things happen. Our managers are also players. It's a more of an American term. It's like player coach. Mm. Um, yep. Like you. You coach and but you play too, so you don't just coach and don't play. So it's like your your hands are always dirty. You're in the game. Yes, right? yes. Even I'm in the game all the time too. So really? I get my hand pretty dirty. I really like that. Recently, we had this long conversation at a course that I was taking about whether a leader should still get his hands dirty, hmm. right? Should he be doing the stuff that? he leaves his team to do some people didn't think so some people felt that once you've reached a certain mm. status you shouldn't be doing the small things but i'm like I, actually, you, you should know, always be doing the small things i don't know 100 percent. actually i will share these things i won't mention names i've seen it quite a number of times in singapore already there yeah. is a lot of the singapore company manager either is meat management or even starting a meat management and then starting to get the executive very senior people 
who used to say was an engineer, used to get their hand very dirty, yep. really out of touch of technology. Mm. So they lose the trade that they started off in their career. Right. Mm. Me as a CEO, I still read and write code just to make sure that in touch with the technology. Yes. And this is what will happen if you are play both coach and player and not just coach. Uh -huh. And I think it would be too bad. It's too it's a shame that very good skills get lost when you become a management. And after all, I always say that management is overhead, right? Why do you need management? <laughs> <laughs> Especially when you have ChatGPT. Yeah. yeah, so I think that was a really insightful and inspiring conversation with Ryan Wong, the CEO of Easier. Uh, it's not often that we get to speak with someone who started from scratch and eventually became a unicorn company. So we've yeah. learned a lot from his stories, his vision, and future of HR and data analytics. I think it's also a good example of not limiting yourself to a belief system or what others may say otherwise and that's how you can go ahead achieve great things on the global stage and one of the key takeaway i think is really you got to play offense not just full defense like what singapore <laughs> did with south korea recently just full defense what can you expect from full defense okay but the state of singapore football is a whole other podcast okay so my takeaway and i really it's very affirming to me because these are my personal views as well about taking risk and I always say that I think we have so much to gain especially as parents if we allow our kids to just do their own thing and not to prescribe something for them just because it worked for me I do hope mm. that day comes a little bit sooner than later mm. so that we will have more Singaporean CEOs like Ryan here. Thank you so much for joining us, Ryan, on Thank this you. podcast. Thank you for having me. Thanks to everyone, our listeners, for sticking with us. Thanks to the CNE podcast team for all their help in producing this episode. Till we meet next, have a productive work week. <laughs>